morning, and welcome to episode 643 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus, presented by the Play Index at BaseballReference.com. I am Ben Lindbergh of Grantland, joined by Sam Miller of Baseball Prospectus. Hello, Sam. Hello. Today is the St. Louis Cardinals preview podcast. So later in the show, Sahadev Sharma will be speaking to Derek Gould, the Cardinals beat writer for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. But right now, we are talking to the author of the Cardinals essay in the BP Annual, and an author that you have probably read everywhere, Capital New York, Sports Illustrated, USA Today Sports. He has written books. He is working on another book right now called The Cardinals Way, which makes him the perfect person to talk to about the Cardinals. It is Howard Megdahl. Hey, Howard. Hi, gentlemen. Good to be with you. Good to have you. So... This Cardinals offseason, I guess, comes down to two moments. One, a tragic moment that took everyone by surprise that happened during the playoffs, and then a moment that came later and was prompted by that first moment that took everyone by surprise in a, in a good way. We were excited. There was a big trade. I am talking, of course, about the death of Oscar Tavares and the subsequent trade of Shelby Miller for Jason Hayward. So is there any way to say what the Cardinals' plan was for this winter or what it would have looked like if if things had not happened the way that they did? uh, No question there is. Uh, They very much planned on Oscar Tavares coming in and being the everyday right fielder in 2015. And they had made uh, a number of plans to try and make sure that Oscar was uh, taking care of himself over the course of the winter. He was going to be coming down to Jupiter in November, as a matter of fact, uh, to be working out. And essentially the idea behind it was if Oscar put in the time and got himself ready, that you put him in that lineup in right field and he's the right fielder for, they hope, the next 5, 10, 15 years. And once that tragedy occurred, they had to scramble to find what else they were going to do. Now, there's a question, which is, could they have, in the event that Oscar, uh, you know, had had not died in that accident, could they have used assets in another way? Uh, And I sort of mean that two ways. One, uh, Shelby Miller, who was surplus to needs, uh, traded for something else. But also uh, the budget space that you're now looking at, uh, they need to put aside for uh, keeping Jason Hayward beyond uh, 2015. And uh, so in those two ways, you saw a direct impact on what the plan was going to be for the Cardinals. They otherwise had a, a very quiet offseason. Do you uh, do you sort of are you surprised at all that they that they didn't make any other moves uh, and or in the event that they hadn't needed to trade for Hayward, would you have expected them to essentially just stand completely pat? It's a good question. You know, they'll improve when and how they can. But of course, making a move as opposed to not making a move wasn't necessarily going to improve them the way going with some players internally was going to do the same thing. You know, I'm thinking of the back end of the starting rotation, for instance. And anytime your fifth starter battle is going to come down to a, a pitcher the caliber of Carlos Martinez, who, uh, if you follow me on Twitter, I'm like fairly obsessed with in terms of his stuff and what he potentially can be. And Marco Gonzalez, who is part of the 
group of drafts put forward by Dan Kantrovich, who's now with the Oakland A's, where the Cardinals have apparently figured out how to not just draft and develop, but to do so in record time. And so Gonzalez, much like Michael Waka, was drafted one year and was in the bid leads the next year. And both of them look to be real significant contributors for the Cardinals. So when you have a situation like that from within, you don't necessarily want to go out and spend $210 million on a Max Scherzer. Um, would they have done it? it? It's really hard to say. Uh, it did somewhat limit their opportunities to do so, you know, on the payroll side and also on the player side. But um, it, it, it would have been fascinating. It would have been equally fascinating to see what, if anything, they would have done for a safety net uh, for Oscar in right field. Since you brought up Martinez, I know he also came up in Sam's chat this week. He has stuff that doesn't necessarily match his stats, at least in certain respects, strikeouts specifically. What do you see in him, or or how do you explain why that hasn't necessarily manifested itself in that way? You know, I think the biggest reason with Carlos is that, for the most part, he has been out of the pen, and he's been limited to, in essence, using two pitches when he does that. Uh, I think what makes Carlos Martinez such a special pitcher is the fact that he can throw his two-seamer, four-seamer, but also a slider changeup. And those four pitches taken in tandem are incredibly difficult to hit. And so I think when you see him get the opportunity to start on a regular basis, the strikeout numbers will go up. When he's gotten the chance to start, it's been usually as he's being stretched out or coming off of a bullpen situation. And, and, and that's fine. You know, you're getting him major league innings and you're using him in a way that was very helpful to the Cardinals in both uh, 2014 and especially in the 2013 playoffs. But to really get a sense of what I think he can be, I think you're going to need to see him deploying those four pitches for an extended period of time, which is why, though I will certainly understand it if they go with Marco Gonzalez or even uh, Jaime Garcia as the fifth starter for various reasons, uh, it would be a gift to baseball to see Carlos Martinez get that opportunity. So I want to broaden the discussion a little bit. We can go back to individual players maybe later. But uh, first of all, you went with Cardinals way instead of Cardinal way. It's always difficult to decide. Uh, whether to pluralize the team in the way construction. Was that a very hard decision for you? It actually was. It took me quite a while going back and forth. And ultimately, what I went with was the way George Kissel customarily referred to it. Kissel, of course, the coach with the St. Louis Cardinals from uh, essentially you know, the mid-1940s when he was still a player. He was signed in 1940 uh, through his death in December 2008. And so Kissel wrote, what is essentially the Cardinals way original, which is a manual that he first undertook before even joining the Cardinals while he was an undergraduate at Ithaca College. That was, uh, in, in effect, his senior college, uh, his senior thesis was a uh, coaching uh, manual. And so I figured if that was way, the way Kissel customarily referred to it, that would probably be uh, the way that I ought to as well. And so what is the thesis of your book? In essence, the book is a look at 100 years of Cardinal history, 10 years of Cardinal history, and the way they implement things today. 
And the reason why I use those three time periods is a very simple one, which is that they dovetail almost completely. If you go back 100 years to Branch Rickey coming over from the Browns, you see the Cardinals taking scouting in a very significant way and utilizing statistical advances as well. Uh, Branch Rickey, you know, it's it talked about quite a bit that he employed uh, Alan Roth as a statistician with the Brooklyn Dodgers. Well, that wasn't close to his first foray into this. He employed a man named Travis Hoke, first with the Browns and then with the Cardinals back in 1914. And he was tasked with tracking base and out efficiency. Uh, there's this amazing essay that Hoke wrote in 1935. Essentially, this now it can be told. Uh, conversation talking about baseball having come so far uh, from when statistics were not considered important. And, you know, that being 80 years ago, uh, it, it's sort of funny to think about all the battles still to be fought following that. But the combination of Ricky's approach, which was uh, a scouting and development emotional psychological approach, combined with a statistical approach, was something the Cardinals had arguably gotten away from until Jeff Lunau came in in September of 2003 at the behest of the owner, Bill DeWitt, and did what many people thought of as um, a move away from how the Cardinals operated, but I argue is a restoration of the way Branch Rickey uh, put the team together and brought their glory years, uh, you know, decades prior. So the Cardinals have been for, you know, the last decade or so really recognized as one of the best run front offices, one of the best run teams. Obviously, you're writing a book about that very fact. And some of the other teams that have kind of been held up as examples for the league uh, have suffered from brain drain, I guess, in their front office recently. Uh, the Rangers in particular stand out. The Rays uh, last offseason, we'll see how much that matters to them. Uh, maybe you could say that the A's have, um, there's, the Red Sox have. Uh, and the Cardinals it hasn't really seemed to affect them. Uh, I assume they have. Well, I know that they have lost people from their front office. Have they lost? Do you think that they've lost more than the typical front office? And uh, why hasn't it affected the way that, uh, that the team has been run? Well, so there are two parts to that. One is they definitely have uh, suffered more of it than most. Um, I, you know, from, frankly, the Houston Astros alone, they've suffered more from it. Not just... Uh, Jeff Lunau leaving or Sid Mejdal leaving, both of whom were big losses, but even right down to uh, someone in scouting like Charlie Gonzalez uh, or even a minor league pitching coach like Ace Adams, who uh, was able to put into effect uh, a lot of the programs brought forward by Brent Strom also uh, lost from the Cardinals to the Astros. Uh, but there there have been a lot of others as well. Uh, Dan Kantrovich going to Oakland this past offseason. Kantrovich had been scouting director uh, for the past three years, also very significant. The Cardinals would argue, and I think there's uh, a great deal of validity to this, that they are constantly training the next person to come up. And so when Dan left, to have a guy like Chris Correa, uh, who is now the scouting director, uh, is a real luxury, but it's a luxury brought about by thinking the next step and the step afterwards uh, down the line. I think that's actually the uh, significant advantage the Cardinals have in general, which is that no one is able to you know, accurately predict the future, 
uh, with any kind of consistency. But what the Cardinals do is they are prepared. And I talked about this a lot in the essay, that they always seem to have a plan B, a plan C, and a plan D for everything that happens, you know, right down to just the absolutely unforeseeable tragedy with Oscar, but in all of these ways, large and small. Ultimately, though, we won't really know what the brain drain has done for a little while. Uh, you know, Jeff Lunau took over in 2003 in September uh, as a consultant. I shouldn't say take over. Took, uh, took the job consulting in 2003. But we really didn't see the full effect of what Lunau was doing for, you know, arguably seven, eight years. By the time it, he was in charge of the farm system, in charge of player development, and then those players started to reach the major leagues. Well, we're only three drafts since Jeff Lunell left. Now, it certainly appears that Dan Kantrovitz has done extremely well uh, in terms of Michael Waka and Marco Gonzalez and a number of other players who they brought in uh, in the draft as well. But we're zero drafts since Dan Kantrovitz left. And uh, John Mazziliak is a hyper-prepared general manager, and uh, I certainly believe they're going to continue to do well. But uh, I would be remiss if I didn't point out that we really don't know whether there is some tipping point. I speak about this uh, at, at the end of my book, quite frankly. Is there an obvious next GM <clears throat> in this group? Fascinating question. Dan Kantrovich would have been my answer until he left. And the truth of the matter is that it could still be him. You know, he's the second in command over in Oakland right now. Uh, he's done everything you would want a GM to do. He uh, has 21st century thinking. He's done the scouting. Um, he was even a former player. He was drafted by the Cardinals and spent some time in the minor leagues. So it could be as simple as that. Uh, Chris Correa would uh, flat out say he's not looking to become a general manager at this point, um, but he couches it as at this point. Uh, a guy like Sid Mejdal uh, has said flat out he doesn't want to do it, and I don't think he does. So there's no obvious successor um, other than, you know, like I said, Kantrovitz, uh at this point um, from outside the organization. Is there any sign whatsoever that the talent supply is slowing, that, that they are not able to find the Adamses and Carpenters and Craigs and those sorts of people with the regularity that they – did several years ago? You know, there's not. Mazzilli, um, um, I just talked about the fact that um, there's not as much power in the organization lately. Uh, but, you know, the flip side of that is there's not as much power in really any of the 30 organizations, um, you know, I guess with the exception of the Cubs. And so as a result, it's hard to know whether that's some sort of fundamental change in the Cardinals or just represents the massive drop off in offense. Um, when you look at the talent that's coming uh, through the system, I, you know, I just point to Gonzalez and um, and Rob Kaminsky, who were the two draft uh, first round draft picks in 2013. In the most Cardinals way imaginable, they, they go to their first spring training. Gonzalez is a fastball changeup guy who you know got comparisons to Johan Santana. Uh, Rob Kaminsky was a fastball curveball guy and they hit it off taught each other their secondary pitches. And so when they went out uh, to to uh, pitch in 2014, Marco Gonzalez was suddenly a fastball curveball changeup guy. And Rob Kaminsky was suddenly a fastball curveball changeup guy. And Kaminsky had a sub-2 ERA in Peoria and full-season A-ball. 
Uh, and uh, Marco Gonzalez, you know, rapidly ascended to the major leagues. And so you see things like that. What it essentially means is they're not going to succeed in St. Louis if they're not drafting talent and identifying it at that level. But once they do, you're going to maximize the talent that you have. It's the difference between Michael Waka as they drafted him and Michael Waka coming up through a system that's run on the pitching side by a guy named Tim Levesque and uh, getting Waka in position to be able to dominate in the 2013 NLCS. So last year at the trade deadline, uh, the Cardinals traded for Justin Masterson and John Lackey, uh, which you could look at as being uh, very savvy, recognizing that they needed more pitching depth and going out and getting two guys with a record of success. You could also say, though, that while the rest of the league was sort of fighting over aces, uh, like David Price and John Lester and arguably Jeff Samarja, uh, they were settling for guys who uh, were not really, um, you know, I don't know, necessarily needle movers in a postseason. And sure enough, Masterson was terrible uh, for them uh, in the second half. And Lackey, uh, I should have looked this up before I say this, but I'm remembering one star in particular, was not all that uh, effective in the postseason. Do you... Uh, I, is there is there anything about that decision that you think uh, represents where they were philosophically, or was it just one of those things where those guys were available? And uh, do you think I don't know in retrospect, or maybe not in retrospect, uh, was it a mistake? Would they reconsider? Would they have been in the mix for guys like Price and Lester if they could do it over again? That's a good question. I I, I wouldn't want to speak for them on whether they would do it differently now. What what I do know about the rationale behind the decisions at the time uh, is pretty clear when you look at where they are in the spring. Uh, in each of these cases, they were able to trade extra players within their system. Uh, you know, whether it's Alan Craig, who they're uh, clearing space for Oscar in that case, you know, and also trading, you know, Joe Kelly, who was surplus to needs, or in the case uh, of the Masterson deal, uh, you know, an outfielder uh, in Ramsey who is an excellent prospect and, and may still do very well. The Cardinals really liked him, but he was having trouble breaking into their AAA outfield. That was how stacked they were in terms of talent at that position. And so you do two things there. One is that you're building your pitching depth. The idea, I guess, being that, you know, Adam Wainwright and if you could come back, Waka are your top tier horses. You're also making sure, though, that in addition to having some fallback options, you're not hamstringing yourself for the long term. And the, there's a real question, you know, even with even with the Max Scherzer, you know, even with the David Price, are you better off with a second generation deal with them than you would be with what you can expect from the next six years over whoever makes it between Carlos Martinez and Marco Gonzalez? Plus, you know, guys coming in down the line, you know, Kaminsky and so on and so forth. Um, the Cardinals have not gone out of their way to ride those starting pitchers, Adam Wainwright being an exception. And uh, quite frankly, even even when they've done something like make a, uh, a, a cost certainty deal with a Garcia, it hasn't necessarily worked to their benefit. So. I, it's understandable where they're coming from, but I also would just say I think more than anything else, to have Martinez and have Gonzalez uh, in place, ready to potentially help a rotation, it's it's hard to want to take the place of one of those two. 
Is there any concern about Wainwright relative to the normal concern about any starting pitcher, given the way that he ended last year and his minor operation following the postseason? You know, not not from them. Um, there's always a concern with Wainwright in general, which is an interesting one. I talked about this a little bit in the book, that essentially the Cardinals have overhauled the way they uh, teach mechanics and the way in which they scout for mechanics. And they did so subsequent to having Adam Wainwright in the system. And so Wainwright is not really a template of the way the Cardinals do that now. And so there's a certain understanding of, you know, there's limits to what you can expect durability from Wainwright, much as he's been as successful as virtually any Cardinals pitcher in the last 10 years. So from that perspective, there's slightly more concern with him than there would be with, you know, a Martinez, a Gonzalez or anyone else um, who, you know, who's come in under the current regime. Uh, but but that that's about the extent of it as far as I know. And how does the outfield shake out this year with Borges and Grichuk and and the three guys who are starting and Piscotti? It's it's still a surplus. It's a major surplus, and it's something the Cardinals are happy about, you know, obviously. Uh, but what you're going to end up with is a situation akin to what a scout said to me last spring, which is uh, I would trade our major league outfield for their triple-A outfield. You know, they're, they're going to give Hayward every opportunity. Think of Hayward like Matt Holiday 2.0, you know, a guy who they brought in. And the Cardinals love to do this. They love to trade for a guy a year ahead of time rather than try and get him in the free agent market to let him go to St. Louis to see it. You know, look, I, I know people are sick of hearing this of, you know, oh, it's the best baseball town and so on and so forth. The reality is, these players keep going to St. Louis and playing there and deciding, hey, I want to stick around and I want to sign for the long term. And it happens much more frequently with those players than it does with guys who they bring in, you know, flat flat out from free agency with Johnny Peralta being the notable recent exception. Uh, they, they had their eyes on Hayward for a long time. He was a player who they were certainly interested in. He's someone who they probably wouldn't have gone after because of the surplus outfield uh, situation that they had. And they also didn't need someone with the upside of a Hayward because Oscar was going to be that guy. And when Oscar was gone, it suddenly became, you know, well, here's someone we can bring in. We can see how it works for him. We can see how it works for us. And uh, it certainly worked out for them in terms of Matt Holiday, who they scouted a full 18 months before uh, trading for him, let alone signing him long-term. And they're looking to do the same thing uh, with Hayward. I keep looking at this depth chart and seeing Pete Cosma there and and doing a double take. Like I left this browser tab open since 2012 when we were all telling Pete Cosma jokes. And if I refresh, he'll disappear. But he's still there. He's really still on this team, Pete Cosma. He's not just still there. He's playing every position. I was down in Jupiter last week. And they had him in left field, and then they had him in center field. So they're trying to maximize the Pete Cosmo experience. And <laughs> Pete Cosmo is a guilty pleasure for me. Um, I really enjoy watching him play. Um, he's one of the Jeff Lunau draft picks that didn't go so well. He was a first-round pick back in 07. Uh, but he does. He keeps on sticking around. And, I, you know, Cardinals fans give me a hard time about Pete Cosmo. They are not 
they do not enjoy the Pete Cosmer experience the way uh, I am able to, you know, being a little bit separated from it. Mm -hmm. uh, but all indications, you know, despite Ty Kelly, who's around, despite Dean Anna being around, it looked it, it looks pretty good for Cosmer to make the uh, to make the 25 man roster once again. All right. Let us do our customary ending to the first interview segment. Tell us how many games the Cardinals will win and where that will put them in the NL Central. The Cardinals will win 96 games this year, and that will put them at the top of the NL Central because they will get more out of Colton Wan at second base and more out of the back end of their rotation and hopefully more out of Michael Waka as well, just in terms of pitching a full season. All right. Do you think you've been upstaged book title-wise by Mike Matheny with the Matheny Manifesto? Have you considered the Megdal Manifesto? You know, it, it, it's a great idea, and the truth is not having alliteration is probably going to hurt me when it comes to book sales, but uh, I, I I didn't consult with Mike before I uh, I came up with my title, and he didn't consult with me, and uh, perhaps we should have. On the other hand, his comes out this year. Mine comes out next year, and so I am hopeful that there's room on people's shelves for a Cardinals book each each of the uh, each of the next two years. Yeah, I look forward to seeing yours. Not not thank sure you. if I will get to Mike Matheny's, but I, I will Just get to yours. Um, well, thank you, thank you, Howard. Thank you very much for having me, fellas. All right, so you can find Howard at many sites. You can look forward to the Cardinals way. You can find him on Twitter at Howard Megdal. And after the musical break, you will hear Sahadev talking to Derek Gould of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Welcome to the second half of the Effectively Wild podcast. I'm Sahadev Sharma, Associate Editor for Baseball Prospectus. With me is Derek Gould, reporter for the St. Louis Dispatch. Derek, thanks so much for joining me. Appreciate your time. I'll start it right off with y Yadier Molina, who had thumb surgery last season. We know that thumb injuries, wrist injuries, those, those type of injuries can linger, especially in the power department. Uh, is this something uh, that you've noticed that the, the pop is kind of missing in spring training, or is it just something we need to keep an eye on as the season goes on? Yeah, I, you know, I would think those things are probably best kept an eye on as the season pro progresses, um, just because spring can can be misleading um, for a veteran player. Um, I do know this, that the, that the you know, he came back last season from the thumb injury, was able to play in the postseason until another unrelated injury cost in time there in the NLCS. Um, when you when you look at how he came back, there was a question about his grip strength, but not a question of his health. Um, that was something that he had all winter then to work on is that grip strength and didn't doesn't hasn't been discussed, doesn't seem to be an issue. Um, but you know the, the, the related or, or possibly related conversation is that he came in the spring um, significantly lighter than he's ever been before. He uh, he lost about 20, 22 pounds. Um, he looks, uh, looks a lot like a, a middle infielder would, um, not at all like, a, like he has been as a catcher. He's definitely slim, slimmed down. He's improved his core strength. Um, he just, he was re relentless in this, this winter. And 
the motivation behind it sort of depends on how, who you ask. Mike Matheny said it was a clear message to him that uh, that Yadier Molina didn't want to take the rest that everybody was talking about, this proactive rest, and that he intended to, again, lead the league in innings caught and didn't want to miss games and lost weight so that he was carrying less around and could be more durable. Um, he was also yeah, not as mobile in the behind the plate as he has been in the past. There were times where you go, oh, well, he, he'll get to that ball, but well, he didn't get to that ball. or um, You know, just different things like that. Now, whether that was related to the knees or that was related to, to how he felt moving around, um, you know, he hasn't, he hasn't eliminated us on, us on that, but by losing weight, he's taken more uh, pounding off the knees, more, more, you know, just grind off the knees, but also making himself more agile behind the plate. So we'll have to see how that plays because as you mentioned, you know, I mean, the wrist is one thing, but if you lose weight and you lose muscle and driving the ball is also not something that, that's going to be there. So, um, you know, it's not really something that reveals itself in spring. When you have a veteran player who is working on, you know, his timing and his balance and things like that, you know, it's, it's I've been around enough veterans to know, like we, we saw Scott Rowland, Jim Edmonds, these guys go through their spring and they may not hit for a whole lot of extra base power until the final week of it or even until the season starts just because of what they're trying to work on at the plate. And it's not a question of, oh, did they all of a sudden lose their extra base? It's no, they just, they know how to deliberately go about preparing their swing for, for, for the season and, and aren't interested in, in, you know, putting up grapefruit league stats when they can uh, work on a swing that's going to help them put up national league stats. You know, it seems like the, the Cardinals do a pretty good job of, of replacing their aces. They went, they went from Matt Morris to, to Chris Carpenter mm-hmm. and then to Adam Wainwright. There was a little bit of a scare earlier in spring with Wainwright, but it looks like he's, he's going to be back and he's going to be fine. But, but when it is time for him to find, when he does take a step back from being Adam Wainwright, or maybe he, he's, he moves on in his career. Uh, is there a guy ready to take over? Is that guy, Michael Walker? Is that guy, Carlos Martinez? Do, do we not, do we not see that guy on the Cardinals roster yet? If he's on there, it's, it's either Walker or Lynn. Um, you know, look, I mean, a lot of the folks in house will point to Waka being that guy. Uh, he's proved his health. They hope that the, the stress reaction in his right shoulder last thing, last year is a, is a thing of the past, um, in the sense of slowing him down. It will never be a thing of the past in the sense of guiding his workload and what he has to do to maintain. I mean, this is, this is something that he is going to have to be preventative about and, and he has altered his workouts and everything like that. Um, you know, probably for the rest of his career as a result of it, but they don't want him to alter his mechanics. And so he's going to have to maintain that strength and awareness of, of what, uh, what strain he's putting on the shoulder and, and do everything he can to either, uh, keep it strong or to, um, recognize weak spots so that they can be addressed before they become an injury. Um, but his talent and his, uh, his kind of approach is such that, uh, that's the guy who could, be an ace. I mean, he's got plus pitches. He's got plus velocity. Um, he's got that poise. He already has the October success, not unlike a certain rookie Adam Wainwright who in 2006 um, throws Carlos Beltran with that curveball and then closed out a World Series. I mean, it's, uh, um, he didn't get the, the MVP trophy or the car or whatever it was for, for the work he did, and, and Michael Walker did. So they, they already have kind of been forged in October and, and share that trait. That uh, isn't very difficult to see the the comparisons, nor 
the fact that, uh, that that's the young man who, uh, if he pays attention, um, you know, if he pays attention to Adam Wainwright, will be able to uh, continue on that, that lineage that you talk about, which is, uh, I mean, I, I mean, it's, I'll be honest, it's celebrated around the Cardinals, that kind of thing, that, uh, the, that direct descendancy of aces is something that uh, Adam Wainwright talked about with Lance Lynn. He talked about it with Shelby Miller before the Cardinals traded Shelby Miller, and he played with Michael Walker because it's something that 20 years from now he wants to see continued for somebody who hasn't even been drafted yet. And how is Carlos Martinez looking? Uh, they're they're working on converting him from a reliever to a starter. I think that was you know something that was always part of it. Uh, a question with him is he a reliever is he a starter but he's got electric stuff mm-hmm. and uh if it works out for a starter there are those that believe he, he could be special yeah i mean the general manager is one of those uh, who thinks he could be special and they spent a lot of the winter telling him that this was his chance and you know this was the this was the biggest opportunity he was going to have he pitched exceptional a year ago um but uh but you know it was kind of like the tiebreaker was a need in the eighth inning and the Cardinals didn't have that elsewhere where they knew they had it in Carlos. So they put him back in the eighth inning and they had an alternative in Joe Kelly to put in the rotation. Although Martinez has pit, had pitched better during spring. Um, this spring, he hasn't been as efficient as he needs to be. Um, he's been really good for about 20 pitches. And then from about 20 to 40 pitches, 20 to 50 pitches, um, he falls behind in the count and, um, you know, doesn't get ahead of headers, doesn't put them away quickly when he is ahead, has some prolonged at-bats, and has to have some secondary stuff to go to. He he does have an electric fastball and sinker, and he's got, uh, you know, 98 with crazy movement, and all that hints to the fact that he could be really exceptional, um, and, he, and he could be if he relies on it, and then just in a change-up, but... Uh, but it's finding that kind of blend and that location of those pitches that lead to more efficient innings that has been the only thing keeping him from really grabbing a hold of the opening in the rotation and not letting anybody else have it. Uh, I saw that Jaime Garcia is uh, throwing yeah. off the mound again. Is he? He's. Uh, I'm not sure. Did, was he? Did he actually? Uh, I don't think he. He's thrown in a game yet, but he's he's close to. Oh yeah, he's, he's thrown more in games than anybody else. Oh, he has. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I'm totally misread what what I was looking at online. That uh, yeah. how's he, how's he how's he looking and how's he uh, is he going to be a part of this rotation or is he just kind of yeah. extra depth? No, no. It looks like if he's healthy, he's in. If they can, if they can, if they believe he's ready and healthy enough to stay in the in the spot, then uh, then he's the fifth starter. I mean, that's how the schedule lays out. That's not what they're saying, but. You know, the calendar says all, and the calendar clues into the fact that they think, uh, you know, if he's ready to go, they want to be ready to have him because um, he has the best stuff. He has the most experience, and um, he's the biggest salary, and he was the biggest question mark. So um, he's coming back from thoracic outlet syndrome surgery, which is not a surgery many guys return from, and yet here he is strong and uh, got through 80 pitches in a sim game the other day, has, uh, has pitched quite well in the – in the games with one exception and that exception uh, was up in Vieira where it can be a tricky place to pitch for a pitcher like Jaime just because of the wind whipping across and it was also his first start of spring and didn't quite have the command of the fastball but had life on it and had power behind it and 
and all the things that they were looking for as far as arm health and arm strength at that time. And then he's now dialed in the command and he's, uh, you know, you know, he's pitched really well and, uh, and they can, they continue to throw him out there because, you know, the concern is, can he throw a hundred pitches? And, you know, he's about to show that in his next time out. And then the concern will be, well, can he do it in back to back games? And then he'll go out and show that. And then the question will be, well, can he do it in three games consistently? <laughs> and, uh, and then he'll go out and do that. And the thing that he was never able to do the past two years was do it in eight, nine games consistently without problems. Um, and if he goes out there and does eight, nine games, then that's eight, nine games that the Cardinals didn't expect to get from him. That's probably eight or nine games that they won sticks up. And then they have Carlos Martinez or Marco Gonzalez still kind of chucking along here. As uh, as understudies, if you will, if the if the star can't take it and and loses his voice, they can uh, they can step in there and and go. All right, well, we have somebody who is prepared to take on the role. Uh, yeah, I saw the the eighty pitches in a simulated game and made the assumption that that meant he hadn't he hadn't pitched in a rail game yet, but obviously that isn't the case. And sounds like yeah, that was just to keep him on schedule. Um, um, you know, they've done it twice now. They did it with Lance Lynn. And they did it with Jaime where their turns came up on an off day. And rather than having them, uh, some of this has to do with the fact that like, Wainwright, for example, um, is on turn to be the opening night starter. But there's not, because he uh, you know, had that injury that sent him back, there's not the flexibility now of moving him around a little bit. Or, you know, same with a couple other guys. So it became a priority for the team to keep those guys on their five-day turn and that meant coming in on an off-day to throw in game. They acquired uh, Jason Hayward in the offseason. Hayward, obviously, uh, you know, still a young guy. Uh, it, it was uh, touted as having great potential on offense, and we know how great he's been on defense. Does this team need either Hayward to start coming close to living up to that offensive potential or perhaps maybe someone like Colton Wong really uh, developing uh, with the bat. It, it seems like they just need that one more bat to kind of solidify the offense and make them, uh, you know, bring, bring back an offense that was so dangerous in 2013 uh, back uh, back near the top in 2015. I, I might argue that they need two okay. guys. Um, and, and they don't both have to provide the same thing. Um, you know, one can be a high OBP um, and another can be damage. Um, but they, they need at least one of them to be damaged, and they need somebody else to provide some sort of consistent offense from somewhere else in the lineup um, so that they don't see things unravel like they did last year. Um, last year they were just, and maybe readers are tired of me saying it, um, but they, I mean, they just were such a labor-intensive offense. Um, you know, as an example of it happened here in spring training. They're, up, they're going up against the Baltimore Orioles. Like the Baltimore Orioles, throttled the Cardinals last year at Camden Yard, just pulverized them with like nine home runs in the first 16 innings of the series. And um, the Cardinals salvaged the win on Sunday with a season-high 17 hits. But here was the contrast. Is of those 17 hits, 14 were singles. That was the Cardinals' offense. They needed, at times, and this is what showed up in spring, the first inning against the Orioles here, they had four base runners in the first inning. They didn't score a run. They had four base runners and didn't score a run. Um, the, the, the Cardinals had to at sometimes just fill up the bases and have nowhere else to go but home to score a run. Like they, they needed the rules to help them. Otherwise, they would have three people standing at third base at times. 
Um, they just they they just couldn't link hits to, or they just needed to link so many hits together to score runs that the previous year they hit 330 with runners in scoring position and masked all that power fade. Um, but this past year really caught up with them and they hit they still hit better than average with runners in scoring position, but nowhere near enough to overcome the fact that they didn't steal bases. They didn't you know they weren't especially adept at running the bases. And they didn't hit for extra bases. So there was no way for them to generate crooked numbers um, by taking that extra 90 feet every so often. And, and you know, it's it just they wheezed for runs. Um, what they need this season and what they have is, you know, some of these guys to, to rise up and do the damage that they have before in their career. Matt Holiday, for example, who had a really good second half last year and had a really good second half the year before. Um, Matt Carpenter has gone out and hit 50 doubles before. He could do that again um, as a leadoff hitter. Um, and they hope Hayward provides some damage. You know, um, when they talk about power, it's not just home runs, it's doubles too. They don't have a ballpark that is particularly friendly when it comes to home runs. Um, it's not particularly friendly when it comes to getting the ball out of it. But it is pretty good for hitting doubles. It can be very welcoming for a double hitter. And that's something in Jason Hayward's career that you look at and you go, well, why hasn't this guy hit more doubles? He runs very well. That line drive swing, so maybe some of those home, maybe some of those swings become home runs. But for the Cardinals to really excel, um, if, if just more of those swings that he has becomes doubles, then all of a sudden there's a runner at second and maybe a runner home when Matt Holiday comes up, as opposed to a runner at first and second and a chance of a double maybe driving in one run as opposed to a cryptic number. You mentioned Holiday there. I, I look at his numbers, and he's just been remarkably consistent, especially yeah. with uh, especially with St. Louis. I mean, no no less than twenty home runs. His OPS plus was lowest in his Cardinals career last year at one twenty six. I mean that that's uh, you know still a solid year last year. Do you, absolutely is, is he a guy that that is pretty underappreciated? I feel like that I, I see a lot of criticism get lobbed his way. Maybe. Uh, he doesn't I'm trying to recall exactly what it is but I think some people say he doesn't show up in clutch moments but he seems no they don't remember him <laughs> I mean, that that's the thing is it's all anecdotal amnesia uh, yep um you know I mean I don't want to say it's all that and I also I think it's a really vocal minority okay um I think I think it's some who um for some odd reason are fixate fixated on 2009 um and he takes the brunt of not making a catch in left field against the Dodgers um, whereas everybody else in that game who contributed to that loss gets a pass just because it was comical that, uh, you know, it's it made for a good photo. It made for, um, you know, humorous video. People could watch it all the time. And, um, you know, there, there's some people that just seem to fixate on that or the double plays, um, but they miss all the other things. You know, they, they just, uh, they don't, they don't remember, recall the, uh, the contributions he's had to wins or, or his role in some of the bigger wins in uh, the organization, they, they kind of fixated on the times that he failed. And um, that can be difficult to overcome um, because um, newsflash in baseball, you fail more than you produce, you know? And so, uh, I mean, it's, it's interesting because it's almost going to take like a David freeze moment for Matt holiday to shape some of those. And, and again, they're really, it's, I call them a small cul-de-sac of Cardinal Nation. They, they really are. And they, and they, they may be feed on each other. And, and certainly social media has heightened this. Um, 
you know, you give them a larger voice, then maybe we would never hear. But I, I, I get a lot of emails and I get a lot of things on Twitter exactly like what you're talking about, this, this, this track, detraction from him. Um, and it just makes me think that, you know, kind of needs a, a David Freeze-like moment to, uh, you know, to, to shake all the detractors. And you know how many people have had a David Freeze-type moment in <laughs> Cardinal history? David Freeze. And, <laughs> you know, and so it's almost like this unrealistic expectation of Matt Holiday um, that, that derives from, one, his reputation, two, his salary and the fact that he has the largest contract in, in Cardinals history. And, um, and, and I think some people just can't get over that and they don't appreciate the metronome of his production. And, and, and maybe I'm, I mean, it's something that like, uh, that I value most of all in a player is, are they, are they a metronome? Can they be counted on from start to start day to day and over the course of the year be productive, not streaky, not dramatic, not, you know, theatrical, not there for the biggest moment that everybody remembers, not not there for the one defensive play that, you know, gets run on ESPN over and over again. But do they do it 154 times out of 162? Because I think there's real value and consistency, um, you know, and, and it's over. It, it's not it's not appreciated as much as it should be. And, you know, Matt Holiday might be the biggest example of all of that, where he's, he's just – he just goes out and hits. And at the end of the season, you look back and you go, wow, he put it together the same season he always does. Um, even though you only remember the one double play in the seventh inning against the Pirates, it cost the Cardinals a run in a game that they actually ended up winning because Matt Holiday took a walk in the ninth that uh, led Matt Adams hitting a two-run homer as opposed to a one-run homer. And, Man, that Matt Adams is clutch. Where was that holiday guy? I mean, it's just, <laughs> the, the, you know, the, the the loops of logic that I get from some of these emails that, you know, they, they're like, well, you know, when you point out, well, holiday took the walk ahead. Yeah, he took a walk because he couldn't come through. No, it's not just how it works. That's not how the game works. <laughs> Well, uh, maybe someone that'll take some of the heat off holiday is uh, Mike Matheny now. He's, uh, you know, we. I'm not sure if St. Louis has moved past the 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 managerial decision and and against the Giants. The walk a moment. Yeah, yeah, the walk a moment. Is he is he feeling the heat from the fans? And more importantly, is he is there a chance that you know if we don't see uh, maybe if they if if with the Pirates looking good and, and the Cubs and Brewers improved if 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 the Cardinals are you know on the brink of not making the playoffs is is Matheny at all in the hot seat? Will we see no. any anything that? No. Uh, that may <laughs> indicate no. that. No, no. I mean, I'm, Bruce Bochy might have the only better job security than Mike Matheny. Um, I mean, look, the the owner really, I mean, adores Matheny. Um, the general manager believes that uh, Matheny is the leader that they need. Um, the guy from within the system who buys into everything that the Cardinals are trying to do as an organization. Um, the tribe that is definitely. Um, a big part of the continuity that they want to create that ties them to the past and propels them for the future. Um, they see all that embodied in him, and there aren't very many people like that. I mean, they're not going to be able to go out and hire a guy who already has the institutional knowledge and the relationship with the players and, and sort of the immediate, you know, uh, status that Matheny has. I mean, this is a guy who 
um, as a man, not a manager, but as a man, um, the organization is very fond of and the players are very fond of and they recognize that, I think even Mike has said it, but I know he has, um, that uh, there was going to be some learning on the job when it came to the managing aspect of it. Um, they thought that he was really gifted in the managing of the people, the managing of the clubhouse, um, and then the managing of the game. They, they wanted to outfit him with a good staff to help him with that, and uh, they have. I mean, there's some qual- there's some real quality guys, and he's got a new bench coach this uh, this season, and David Bell, who uh, you know has has certainly been around, uh, knows a little bit about uh, the history of baseball. Um, certainly has a family deep in the roots of baseball, and uh, also is kind of a no nonsense guy. I mean, he's going to be pretty forward with his opinion on how things uh, should transpire and what needs to happen, and and he'll be uh, he'll be a new voice in that role. Um, you know, Mike Aldrey uh, was an excellent liaison between the manager and the clubhouse, and a really whip smart uh, guy. Um, you know, and now he's with the A's, so it'll be bringing a little bit different dynamic. But uh, I would imagine Bell will be leaned on quite a bit, just as much as Aldo was, um, to kind of do that. And, and I think uh, you know we heard a lot this this winter um, from Mike and from the front office that uh, you know, and that decision was made. They can't undo it. They can only discuss how curious it was, um, whether it was the right move. Uh, I doubt that they'll ever say publicly. That, oh, in hindsight, that was a miss. But uh, they have said it was something that has has to be explored and and learned from, so that a they're going to make a better decision next time, or they trust the fact that that was the right decision, and that it just wasn't the execution they expected. And um, that's that's part of the learning process that they, the front office really presented, um, you know, Mike with and. And Mike has continued to do that this spring, you know, and, and kind of talking with his coaches and everything like that about situations that might come up, um, especially when it comes to like bullpen handling, that uh, they will improve them in year four. Uh, Derek, before I let you go, uh, I want to find out what storyline or event, something that you're looking forward to, not the key to the season for the Cardinals, but as a reporter, someone that's going to be there every day, uh, what are you most looking forward to writing about and covering in 2015 for the Cardinals? A Cardinals-Cub rivalry that matters yeah. and might actually be um, entertaining. Uh, all the characters, as they say, all the chess pieces are in place now for this to be dramatic and memorable and uh, and have some elements of uh, cayenne in it to get spicy. Um, <laughs> it, uh, it certainly, I mean, it starts right off with opening night with uh, Wrigley Field in, in, in half its glory <laughs> um, being open um, with John Lester, you know, Adam Wainwright, likely the starters and, um, Joe Madden in one dugout, uh, who grew up a Cardinal fan and, and some elements of Cardinal Nation still hope or still wish that he were the manager. And then Mike Matheny in the other dugout, a guy who is, you know, Joe Madden, who has theme flights and all that stuff. And I, I, I don't think the Cardinals would do that sort of thing. Um, <laughs> you know, it's just, it could be fascinating, you know. Uh, Theo and Jed and one front office and Mo, um, you know, I mean, you got a, you got a lot of style in there in the two front offices to be sure. Um, you also have a lot of success in the two front offices and and um, also let's let's say this is the last part. There's also there there's a little bit of a clash in how to build a team 
Um, you know, the cuffs have identified power as uh, as dwindling in the marketplace. They nailed it. They have they have hoarded it. They have gathered it and collected it, and they have the potential for power at every position. Whereas the Cardinals have built their this uh, this this continuing success or perpetual success, as they call it, ongoing success around young pitching. So you have young power on one side, young pitching on the other. You have historic rival, rivals who have never played a meaningful game in October against one another. And here it comes. I, I mean, I think it could be fantastic. Yeah, I agree. I'm just happy. I've only been covering uh, the Cubs and White Sox since about 2000, late 2009, 2010. And this will be the first time I'll actually come into a season with both teams actually being relevant. And hopefully I'll get to watch some real baseball on a consistent basis. Derek, thanks so much for joining me. Why don't you let the the listeners know where they can both find your work and find you on social media? Oh, uh, oh goodness. All right. So uh, at the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, the website is stltoday.com. You know, then we have... uh, Constant Cardinal coverage there. I mean, just uh, overwhelming reams and reams of content uh, from me and my colleagues, uh, Rick Hummel and, and Bernie Miklas, their columnists. So, you know, I, I get the pleasure of working with a Hall of Fame writer and Rick Hummel every day. And he, uh, he cranks out stuff for the web and the paper every day, just like I do. And uh, then on social media, it's just simple. It's at D-G-O-O-L-D at Twitter. And then there's a, there's a Facebook page for all of our content as well. It's called, uh, uh, Birdland, like the Jazz Club, Birdland PB uh, on Facebook, and you can get that there. And I, I would imagine, I mean, you go to YouTube, Tumblr, all those stuff too, and type in my name, and something will pop up with our Cardinal coverage. Uh, that's Derek Gold, reporter for the St. Louis Dispatch, covering the Cardinals. I'm Sahadev Sharma. You can follow me at Sahadev Sharma. Derek, thanks again. I really appreciate your time. Take care. Yeah, yeah thanks for your patience. I'm glad this worked out. All right, Cardinals podcast complete. Thank you for listening. You can send us emails at podcast at baseballperspectus.com. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash effectively wild. You can rate and review and subscribe to the show on iTunes. You should go to banishedtothepen.com, the blog written by Effectively Wild listeners, the second round of the Effectively Wild Wild Four tournament of recurring jokes and characters from Effectively Wild is now up. It's at banishedtothepen.com. Voting is open. Please support our sponsor, the Play Index, by going to baseballreference.com, subscribing to the Play Index using the coupon code BP, and getting the discounted price of $30 on a one-year subscription. We will be back tomorrow with the Angels preview.